is Grace, and you're listening to the Homebody Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome. So today I'm joined by Aaron Tack Shipley, and we are going to be talking about Mercury in water signs as we sort of look through the lens and all the different prisms and things we can discuss and the stories that show up for us, both focusing around the third house things or water as an element. And so today talking about Mercury in water signs is one of our, our jumping in points for that. Aaron Tack Shipley is a consulting professional astrologer, creative writer, and ritual strategist supporting folks in staying with the challenge of being in right relationship, embracing death and co-creating culture within and beyond systems of oppression. Weaving astrology with other tools as well, Aaron helps people reconcile the gap between how they are in the reality of their present conditions, who they perceive themselves to be in their ideal world. Aaron lives, works, and tends community on the traditional lands of the Awaswas, Kotoni, Boipi, Sayanta, and Opto-speaking peoples. Aaron, is there anything else that you would like to say to sort of introduce yourself or to let us know how you're showing up today before we dive in? Well, thanks for that introduction and thanks for having me here. I don't know that I have anything to add to the introduction so much as I just never realized how much mercury is in my bio. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to it like, wow, there are so many things that relate to Mercury in there. And I often, my my natal Mercury is combust in Pisces. Mm. And so it has a way of like hiding, but being very present at the same time. <laughs> and so it was just like nice to listen to it from that lens and perspective. I love that. And feels perfect for how we're showing up. So <laughs> today we're talking about Mercury and water signs. And so I appreciate you sort of joining me in that experimental topic <laughs> and theme. And so sort of the general flow for how we're going to do today is we're going to sort of talk about Mercury in general. We'll talk about Mercury in water, and then we'll go through some of Mercury in the water signs in all three of them with some examples and some thoughts about how we think or how we perceive Mercury to be showing up in those waters. Do you want to just like dive right in to just like, I'm like, it always feels so big, like Mercury in general thinking, yeah. What are your sort of opening thoughts for how we engage with or understand Mercury? I always like to start with stories because mm -hmm. that's, I feel like I'm a storyteller and what better way to start with a story than a birth story. So Mercury is the son of Maya and Zeus and the, the legend goes that on the first day of his birth, when he was like still a wee babe in a cradle, he actually snuck out of his cradle and stole the oxen of his brother Apollo. So like he started his like thievery and conniving from, from a wee lad <laughs> and he snuck back into his actually. Okay. So the, the myth, in detail is that he slew two of the oxen and content warning for those listening, especially vegans. He, he like tanned, tanned the oxen that he slew and he like nailed the, the skins to like a boulder or a rock. And then the rest of the oxen were like hidden in a cave. And then he found a tortoise shell and he used the like the sinews of the slain oxen to 
make the strings of the very first lyre. So he's a day old and he's making a lyre, which is, uh, for those who don't know, an instrument, a musical instrument of ancient Greece, very often associated with Orpheus, who we could talk about later. But he makes this lyre. From what I understand of this myth of like, nailing the the skins to the boulder. This was like the very first ritual. And so he's sort of like the creator of sacrifice Mm. (laughs) from like a very young age. Anyway, Apollo discovers that his oxen have been stolen and he's right, justifiably pissed off. And he goes to sort of figure out who did it. He knows that it's Mercury because Apollo sees everything. Apollo's the sun. And, um, He goes and sort of interrogates Maya and Maya's like, here's the baby in the cradle (laughs) and like nobody's buying it. So Apollo goes to Zeus and Zeus is Mercury's father and Zeus is telling Mercury, like, you have to give your brother his oxen back (laughs) and Mercury's like trying to trick his way out of it and it doesn't work and he realizes that it's not working and so he takes Apollo to the cave to show him where the oxen are. And and Apollo sees that there's two oxen that are missing and he's upset. But then Mercury brings or hands Apollo the lyre. And Apollo is so like enchanted by the lyre that he like forgives Mercury and lets him keep the oxen. (laughs) And they become friends Uh, as well as brothers for whatever the rest of eternity. And I think it's such a like rich myth in terms of understanding what Mercury is about because Mercury travels with the sun always. It's the planet that never gets too far away from the sun. It's always like a little bit up to something. It seems to work out for him. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's a creator of various crafts, rituals there's an element of trade that goes on here like he ends up trading the lyre for the oxen even if that maybe that was mercury's intention people are quite a bit smitten with him as a child he's like oh he's so smart Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) even though he's like stealing shit Mm -hmm. so there's like quite a bit of charm there Mm -hmm. in what arises and And the lyre goes on to become this instrument that like tricks demons and helps like Orpheus plays the lyre for Persephone and Hades or Persephone and Pluto when he's, when he's trying to retrieve um, Eurydice from the underworld. And so there's all of these like, ways that the lyre becomes this instrument of charm Mm -hmm. and trickery. And it sort of also leads us into Mercury's association with uh, psychopomps and death, which I think is like maybe something that we could talk about in a moment. But yeah, I love the way that Mercury appears to make things out of nothing but it becomes like a very important element of each story, whatever this thing is that's sort of crafted out of thin air or out of what's available. So there's something about like 
making do. And I think we would be remiss to not talk about trickster figures and the ways that trickster figures have also been like supports to folks who are subject to systems of oppression. Yeah, Kristen Mathis speaks about Mercury's talent with words and voice and how Mercury as a god is like a ally to forced laborers, people who maybe don't have or haven't had control over their environment or their bodies, but they the one thing that they do have is their mind and their words. I could go on, but I'm going to just leave it there for the moment. <laughs> no, I think that's the perfect way to open. I feel like the things that really stood out to me from what you said are just sort of this association of Mercury with like craftiness, but also like craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, for Mercury, there's no like morality over like appearing this way in this situation and then appearing this way in another situation. That's not like, ooh, you're lying. It's it's just very much that shapeshiftery nature in order to get what one wants. <laughs> mm-hmm. It has sort of that like con artist vibe to it to me where it's like, I'm going to trick you into wanting this thing that you didn't know that you wanted that actually <laughs> I stole something from you, but you're going to thank me by the time we're over. Like that's such a like, yeah, that crafty con artist kind of trickery sort of way in such an archetypal way. And they, and they really, it, it does end up sort of like being a gift. You're like, thank you for stealing my oxen. Like, I love it. Thank <laughs> you for this instrument. You know, it's such an interesting, it's such a funny little twist. And so many ways that that story is already pointing out the sort of like dual nature of Mercury, this like duplicitousness of Mercury, like things that sometimes in our ways that we can be like over prudish and deciding like, oh no, you must be like consistent and the same all the time. And that's like, better mm-hmm. or like quote more moral or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Mercury is just a lot more playful than that. Like I feel like Mercury is very much the like video game messenger who's like reminding us of like the game of reality a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like that we're taking reality like seriously in so many other ways. And Mercury is like, remember it's all a game and you can play the game and like you just gotta learn to play. And that's sort of like a, a very mercurial medicine, I feel like. Yeah. It also reminds me of how like lying is something that we've decided is like incorrect or immoral. It's so interesting to me that Mercury is the son of Zeus or Jupiter, which is a god that is often associated with truth and is the brother of Apollo, the sun, which is also associated with truth. But then Mercury is this sort of like winged messenger, but like under their wing and is this like trickster god that is sent to as a herald, like is the one who is sent to communicate and delegate. What's the word? I have Mercury and Pisces. So everybody listening will just have to bear with me while I like reach (laughs) through my like mental dictionary. Yeah. Who is Mercury is sent as the messenger to uh, deliberate and find peace accords Mm -hmm. uh, or achieve peace accords rather. 
that's still not the right word, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, but I think you're pointing to something really important. Like it's also a way to where it's like, you know, it's easy to be the God of truth when you have someone else on the ground doing your dirty work, you know, <laughs> like it's easy right. to be like on the high ground <laughs> when actually someone else is the one delivering the message and their right. one job is to make them happy with whatever it is that you said. Like you don't know how they're like bending or forming in order to, so that you can just be this like God of truth or whatever. And I think Mercury is also often determining which truths are important and which ones are not. And like, there are certain things that are like, well, you know, it's not important for you to know this. Mm-hmm. And morally on, from a sort of larger zoomed out perspective, withholding truth or twisting the truth or bending the truth or replacing the truth with something else, the detail with a different detail isn't immoral, especially if we're thinking about Mercury as like ally to forced laborers as an example. And I'm using that, those words, because it's uh, directly taken from Kristen Mathis's translation of the Orphic hymn to Hermes. Mm-hmm. Hermes and Mercury are the Greek and Roman uh, names for the same God. But there's this, like, I, I, I think a lot about how many people are subject to capitalism or exploitation of one sort or another and like lying or bending the truth are ways that they not just protect themselves, but like achieve harness, reach for resources that they would otherwise not have. And is it really immoral? It's like, it's like Robin hood, you know, Mm -hmm. stealing from the rich and giving to the poor or like the person who is punished for stealing a loaf of bread, but well, what is the larger system that isn't ensuring that his family has something to eat? Mm-hmm. Um, and is it really wrong to steal and to lie in those scenarios? Exactly. Morality is subjective. For sure. And very often determined by the people who hold the most power. And Mercury's job is to shift and sneak through the cracks and redistribute, organize, allocate, reallocate power in ways such that not just a few individuals are holding it. For sure. It's like whoever, it's like he, that phrase, like he who has the gold makes the rules. Mm -hmm. And Mercury just interesting and subverting that in a way through trickery and use the word sneakiness, which I really, really liked. Always here for a Robin Hood story. I remember I grew up in a very like conservative Christian background, Hmm. very black and white thinking, very right and wrong, very, and that's just kind of what I was grown up in. And I remember watching The Sound of Music because I was obsessed with musicals Uh, at a pretty young age. In the movie towards the end, the like Christopher Plummer's character like lies to sort of like get his family out. I was like, well, isn't lying like bad? And it was sort of like my first sort of encounter with just like sort of moral gray areas. And I remember feeling excited about it, but not yet at an intellectual age or religious freedom enough to really process that and just sort of, yeah, who's making the rules and who decided that, yeah, what is what you're saying in service of and that sort of subversive covertness of Mercury, which really ultimately gives Mercury a lot of freedom, like the ability to Mm like not belonging to any particular sect, like I can belong to the day or to the night. I can belong to the above world or the below world. And Mm -hmm. I fly around. So of course I have to be responsive to like the changes and 
wind and weather and kind of constantly assessing who I need to be and what I need to be in order to get where I'm going and not fall, et cetera. And I think that's an interesting quality and something that at least someone like me or the upbringing like mine was sort of taught to look down on those skills. And now I'm like, we need these skills. <laughs> like they're magician skills, really, mm-hmm. in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Yeah. It's interesting. It's reminding me of a story that I feel like I've heard a teacher of mine tell a number of times. Many people listening might know of Bio Akomalafe. Mm-hmm. Are you you're familiar with him? He is, I think, one of the most... Jupiterian and mercurial, intuitive, intelligent, you know, thought leaders of our time. That aside, he (laughs) speaks often of, or at least used to speak often of the time when colonizers were invading Africa and creating the slave trade and how they were Christians Mm -hmm. who had gone in and were colonizing folks with Christianity Mm -hmm. and the people indigenous to the lands didn't have a devil. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It just like didn't exist in their cosmology. Mm -hmm. And so the Christians just like picked a God (laughs) of theirs and they were like, this is your devil. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the god was a shoe who was a trickster figure. Mm-hmm. When Bio talks about a shoe, I just can't stop thinking about Mercury mm-hmm. and how this god who like really like slips through is sort of shamanic in many ways or slips through cracks. It's like a companion and a guide through initiatory journeys is quite a powerful ally Mm -hmm. to the folks who were being colonized, Mm -hmm. or at least that's the way bio speaks of it. And it's interesting to me too, because of Mercury's connection or like role as psychopomp. So in, at least in the Orphic tradition, I've been studying with Kristen Mathis and Drew Levanti, anybody who's not, who's like really into astrology and has not signed up to be a supporter of Kristen Mathis's Substack, you should just like stop listening to this podcast and go <laughs> do that right now. Just like read everything she's written because she's amazing. Yep. Yeah. So Mercury in the Orphic tradition is the god that guides the dead down to the underworld to meet their fate, so to speak, in front of Pluto and Persephone. And so when they get to Pluto and Persephone, they're, they're supposed to deliver like a password. They're supposed to remember a password. The password is something akin to like, I am a child of earth and starry sky. The stars and heavens are my family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> something really like beautiful and reminds us of our like inherent belongingness in the cosmos. Mm-hmm. and. Mercury is their company who takes them down into the underworld. And like, I think it depends on how you interpret Orphism. And it's so hard to say, because I think in some 
traditions, especially the Egyptian tradition, the ultimate goal was to like join the immortal ones, which were the circumpolar stars, the stars that never set below the horizon. And the Egyptians thought that the stars that did set, that like heliacally set and rose after or before the sun, like heliacal setting stars are stars that are setting after the sun sets. And that's what we would call like an evening star and stars that are likely rising or rising before the sun rises in the east in the morning. And those stars will likely rise and set throughout the year. So those stars were understood as the ones that like walked upon the earth with the mortals and they would be perceived as like when they're likely setting, they're coming to walk upon the earth with mortals for a while. And then when they heliacally rise, they're like returning to the realm of the immortal ones. The circumpolar stars never set. So in certain traditions, it was understood that when a person died, they were going to the underworld and sort of like vying for their place among the immortal ones. Mm -hmm. And then I think the Orphics actually were just like down to be incarnate. And maybe would want to join the immortal ones, but they were really just like, guide me along my path where I'm supposed to be. Help me remember what I'm supposed to remember (laughs) and whatever I'm not, I will like come back and like reincarnate as like a, another human doing this whole thing again, but let Mercury help me remember. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing too. In a lot of traditions. It's just like, there's something about forgetfulness that's embedded into our experience of being human. And in all of these, these epic journeys that we make like throughout our lives or throughout our initiatory moments, or even in the initiation of death, there's this invitation to like, remember, and Mm -hmm. it's a really important. And a lot of what we're remembering even thinking about like Mercury again is sort of our dual nature (laughs) of Mm -hmm. like being the star and being the human of being the above and the below. It's sort of, sort of reconciling or reckoning with our, what we share with Mercury, which is sort of the riddle of remembering Mm -hmm. that we, that we are two things that we are both things. Yeah. It's interesting in the Orphic tradition too, there's 87 Orphic hymns. Mm -hmm. There's two hymns to Mercury. Mm -hmm. And one of them is to like the Mercury that we know, and love, hopefully, (laughs) that uh, is like most common. And then the other one is to chthonic Mercury, chthonic meaning like below the earth. Mm -hmm. And that's the hymn to the Mercury that is guiding us to the underworld, Mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting to consider in the context of, in the context of Mercury and water signs, especially because that hymn opens with, speaking about like the river of whaling mm-hmm. and like going down to like cockatus or something. So there, this idea of the river where we choose like which stream or which current to swim am- amidst uh, and Mercury helping us choose feels very watery me for sure and it even just makes me you know the rivers that like the river that is a part of the underworld and sort of crossing the river is a big part of your initiation into that world and you know the waters that that move like down underground below the mountains and then back up again this like that fluid quality is something that we though mercury doesn't rule a a water sign or exalt in a water sign per se there is still that quality of fluidness 
that belongs to both water and to mercury that I think is really well kind of shown in what you're sharing there. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about that is in preparation for this recording, I just looked up what happens to mercury, like when you mix it with water and you can go like look up a YouTube video and there's a ton online. But if you like put the element mercury in water, they won't mix. Mm. Mercury will actually settle to the bottom of the water. Wow. And it will, it doesn't like make a big splash when you like drop it in the water. But if you mix it up, it will like move like fairly quickly, but it stays separate, which I thought was so interesting mm-hmm. because Mercury doesn't have rulership over any of the water signs, mm-hmm. but somehow like still moves very quickly. And I really like this idea of Mercury as like a chthonic messenger, someone who can sort of, I don't know if we think about water as like emotions or unconscious or subconscious, like the ability to quickly descend all the way to the bottom of the unconscious or all the way to the bottom of the feelings and be looking up at them from from like a totally different perspective and to not have any piece of oneself pulled away mm-hmm. um, or even to like maybe split, like there's definitely like bub- mercury bubbles that like split when you... Uh, stick a spoon in the in the water and mix it up but they will continue to like travel to stick back together Mm. like mercury will come back to itself and I thought that was so wild Mm -hmm. to be like watching the way that the element interacts with water and stays like sort of holds on to its ability to to separate and organize and perceive and like be with without becoming, Mm -hmm. which makes sense when we're thinking about Mercury as like guide to the dead, like Mercury guides the dead to the underworld, but then returns back to the upper world, maybe with a different being, but like really, you know, sort of travels on its own is never like stuck there with another being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like doesn't themselves die in the process. Right. So just like, thinking about what it means to be like a psychopomp in water or to have like to have an emotional death or to be witness to an emotional death mm-hmm. to have the capacity for emotional depth to be like emotionally active as well as mentally active mm-hmm. or as opposed to mentally active because i i think mercury is a very like mental function mm-hmm. as a guides mental functions as the planet but I feel like I've heard a lot of people say something about how mercury and water signs can mean that it's hard to distinguish Mm. feelings and thoughts and just watching that video really made me question that concept and whether they're just easily like they go easily together but they stay separate yeah and i think you know in thinking about i mean thinking about mercury and pisces in particular which we can jump in in a little bit but like you know the way that we think like sort of mercury considered sort of muted in water signs and really kind of sitting with like doesn't mean that mercury can't function 
it just means that Mercury is functioning different differently. And then the science and Mercury rules and exalts, you know, we are, we're thinking about, I mean, we live in a very mercurial world, I think, Mm -hmm. in my opinion at this time, you know, where we have sort of the avatars of self and technology, and we live in a very commercial economy, a very transactional economy. And like there's data and content and algorithm, like it's all everywhere. And sort of when we put Mercury in a water sign, it's like suddenly they're prioritizing something else or they're better at doing something else, which culturally we're like, well, that's not helpful. Is Mercury in Pisces going to help be your accountant and like Marie Kondo your closet and like organize your TikTok content? And like, probably not. (laughs) It doesn't mean (laughs) though that what Mercury in these signs is doing isn't important. It's just like having something that's not stereotypically like what we would consider like the high function or the most mercurial function. It's like, yeah, maybe they aren't prioritizing um, sanding the perfect chair or making money or transacting the most content or getting to 1 million followers on Instagram, but they're prioritizing something else. It doesn't mean they don't know something. It doesn't mean they don't speak language. It just means that like that language is getting subverted or submerged, I guess we could say, Mm -hmm. into something that's prioritizing or interested in something else which I tend to have a preference for anyways. So. Yeah. You know, Oh God, my brain is going in like so many different directions. I'm thinking about the myth of Mercury and the giant Argos. Mm. Yeah. Who was a sleeping giant who had like a thousand eyes and never kept all of his eyes closed at once. And Mercury when I think about like a sleeping giant with many eyes, I'm like, oh, it's like the ocean that we swim in, right? It's like capitalism. Right? It's like literally the the larger body of like oppressive systems. And Mercury was sent to rescue Io from the giant. And the way that he slew the giant was he played the liar and put the giant to sleep. Mm-hmm. And it was so simple the way that he slew the giant was just like, Oh, I'm just going to be sort of magical and creative, which reminds me of that quote about from um, like Tony Kade Bambera that is at the beginning of, I think it's pleasure activism of like Mm -hmm. the way that something about the way that we engage the revolution is to make the revolution irresistible. Yeah. And this, also this idea of Argo as like, the Argo is the eighth house. The Argos is the Greek's word for the eighth house. And it represents this ship, uh, like Jason and the Argonauts sailed on the ship, the Argo. And the Argo used to be this boat it used to be a constellation in the sky. It was like the largest constellation in the sky. And at some point it was split into three separate constellations. But in Greek, Argos also means a pause. Uh, And a lot of this, I, again, I learned from Kristen Mathis. She's like a important teacher of mine, but there's this, it means like a pause, like the dead wind Mm. or like the moment where somebody dies and loses their breath. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that like Mercury slaying this giant is like the first thing it does is it 
creates the pause, but it creates the pause by making music. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. I feel like those are really beautiful associations. And I think I'm trying to decide if I just immediately jump into whales or not, but basically like, (laughs) I was like, do I just go there? Okay, great. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I was like, everybody who has listened to this podcast for any length of time will know that I'm obsessed with whales and not to get too deep into my personal cosmology, you know, these huge creatures that are literally like singing and reverberating around the whole blue planet that is ours. And like, we can't hear them directly from where we're sitting, but like, I'm personally at this point convinced that like, whatever we think are like intuitive hits that we're getting is just picking up what the whales are throwing down. Like they're just literally like singing these grids like all over the world with their like migration patterns and their listening and their family. Like, it's, it's mind and it's on purpose. It's also on pur- very intentional, just watching their moves and how they're like, how do I expand this sound as far out as much as possible? And like, just sort of like in a lot of ways, a sort of a hidden nature of that, but also something that's so powerful and taking up a lot of sound space and like wave space, energetic space, like on our planet. And that's sort of where I'm pinging with that (laughs) when you were like with music, which is the background that's all around us on this planet that maybe we're hearing, maybe we're not, but there's that. Yeah. It's interesting too. You're talking about whales and I I think about Jupiter when I think about whales. I think because of Jupiter's dominion over Pisces and the bigness of Jupiter and the bigness of whales. Uh, And Mercury feels much more like a dolphin to me for some reason. (laughs) I think because Mercury is like the kid, right? Um, And it's like a little bit playful and trickstery. Not that whales aren't trickstery, but they're trickstery in different ways. And it makes sense to me, even Mercury being a son of Jupiter Mm -hmm. and it's interesting that their domicile signs are opposed to one another, but they are of the same thing. They are of how we think Mm -hmm. and they don't dislike each other necessarily. Like, I mean, Jupiter, I think is very often amused by Mercury. And I think Mercury likes sort of amusing Jupiter, if you will. (laughs) And so I'm, I was, I'm a huge fan of Alexis Pauline Gums. And so for those who aren't watching the video, when Grace started talking about whales, I like held up my borrowed copy of Undrowned, Black Feminist Lessons from Marine Mammals (laughs) by Alexis Pauline Gums. And there's a passage in, I think it's the third chapter on remembering, where she's talking about this pod of dolphins and singing and how the how the mothers sing to their young when they're still in the womb and the entire pod for like a few weeks is just quiet Mm -hmm. so that the mother can teach the child while still in the womb their name (laughs) i like almost started which is a song (laughs) just fyi it's a song (laughs) and it's like there's but it's like the whole pod has to shift. Like the whole environment has to shift 
for this child to learn his name. And, and the whole community gathers together to do so, to, to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And I think there is something about Mercury in a water sign that is like acutely aware of the way that the environment which holds us not the container, but like the environment, the atmosphere and how that changes our experience of what we learn, what we retain, what we remember, how we interact. Um, And so I think like Mercury and water signs is okay. So Mercury is the dolphin. Jupiter's the whale. Mercury knows that it's not big enough to like fight the whale. (laughs) So what it will do is it will influence the environment to get the whale's attention or draw the whale's attention in some other way. I mean, I don't know about the relationships between dolphins and whales. So like, this is all like pure metaphorical theory right now, but it's designed to help people understand how I think Mercury and water signs operates Mm -hmm. is very much attuning to the environment and tuning the environment. Yeah. Much like a musical instrument to change the way that it's experienced by anybody within it. I would agree with that. I feel like that was sort of where it was like going in my mind when you were talking just the way that it's like Mercury in the water sign. It's like not the, it's like, what is the vessel or the vehicle for like getting this communication across? It's not the blog post with like the perfectly outlined like headings and the right amount of like characters that are going to suit the algorithm. The auto post is going to, it's not that one. It's more like, how do we encode this thing? How do we like hide it maybe even like behind a myth or in a song or in a vibration so that only the people who are listening in can sort of get it, you know, or hide it in Mm -hmm. a children's story or hide it in a poem or um, a sci-fi novel or a fantasy poem or whatever. So, or like the Orphic hymn, like it's hiding behind something that just can tune you whether you understand it in the sort of earth side mercurial way or not. Yeah. It's like, it's hiding in plain sight. Exactly. But not always. I don't know. I like Mercury's association with caves. I mean, mm-hmm. so many planets. And the riddles so- and like the puzzles. and Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, Very tricky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very like, and sort of bringing out that sort of chthonic, shapeshiftery, even sort of hermetic, shamanic even roles of Mercury where they're yeah, there are, there's a way that they stay sort of hidden. Like the occulted things are, they're pulled back, they're mm-hmm. hidden. And for there's a reason for that. And all these little, these little drops of tricks and waves or dolphin songs, et cetera, yeah. um, sort of help you get there. It's also interesting to think about how, like, yeah, I'm thinking about that video again of like dropping the element mercury into water and mercury moves very quickly in water. I don't think mercury loses its speed. Mm-hmm. in water but it does probably adapt its speed to it adapts its speed to whatever is influencing the water mm-hmm. it doesn't adapt its speed to the water like you have to mix 
Like there has to be a, a force that is stronger than both the mercury and the water to shift it because mercury is so dense that it will, like if it's just mercury and water, mercury just drops to the bottom really fast. Mm-hmm. But once it's there, it stays still, which feels very mercury and Scorpio to me. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yes. Unless shifted. <laughs> Mercury and Scorpio is like on the bottom of the water looking up at everyone else. Like. Like holding it down. Like I'm already here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for sure. Yes, for sure. And I'm also like two random things that are sort of popping up for me before I think we may dive into some more sign specific things are in some traditions, like dolphins and whales are bridge beings. They're sort of like, like humans are sort of interstellar between earthly and stellar and which I think makes sense based on what we're talking about. And the other thing is I completely forgot. Oh no. Navigating in the ocean. You know, we don't really have like landmarks, which are sort of the normal way that we would navigate or have a map or this thing. It's like, we start looking up, like you're saying, Mm -hmm. we're like, we use the stars to sort of like know where we are. And just that way of that navigating. And also I think the vulnerability to like the ground underneath you shifting at all times um, and being able to like adapt to that um, in a really swift manner is really important. So do you feel like you're ready to, um, do you want to dive into some more sign specific things? Is there anything else that you want to say on the general table before we, or do you feel like they'll sort of come out naturally? Mm. I think there are actually a couple of things on the general table of just like Mercury in general. Mm -hmm. I can't believe I never put this together until like recently when a friend pointed it out to me, (laughs) but like Mercury and merchant and mercantile, Mm -hmm. um, those words come. Yeah. They all come from Mercury commercial. So there is Mercury, the, the tradesman, Mercury, the, the attender of commerce. We've sort of touched on it in myriad ways, but Mercury has more like crafts or trades or jobs, so to speak, than any other planet. When you look up the associations with different trades, whether the trade is being like a priest or being a salesman or being a weaver or being, you know, whatever it is, like Mercury can sort of slip into many, many roles. Mm Mm-hmm. So the adaptability piece is very important. It rules two mutable signs, just like Jupiter. And we spoke about it a little bit, but Mercury is the herald. Mm -hmm. Mercury's a liar. And yet he's the one that all of the gods trust to go communicate their ideas (laughs) to others. And very often they, over time, Mercury's staff was changed. So we, I think people will see the the staff with the two snakes that are weaving around each other as the staff of Mercury and they'll associate Mercury with snakes. And I understand the sort of slithery aspect of, of snakes and Mercury and also like Mercury slaying Argos, the, the dragon as like a potentially a snake. And there's some constellation associations as well that I won't go into right now. That said that Imagery is not the original imagery of Mercury's staff. Mercury's caduceus uh, was much more like a wand. It was shorter. It has like a a circle and then 
like a little half circle and open, it's like an open infinity sign. And actually, if you look at it um, with the wand piece, it looks like the symbol for Mercury with the circle and then the like half moon. Mm. And that wand is very similar to, if not is the same wand that the heralds would bring when they were like negotiating peace accords in ancient Greece from like city states. And they were fairly democratic as a nation. I know that there were these like yarn, like tassels that were often like strung around the caduceus, but just wanted to mention that Mercury more than anything, I think is a negotiator. Mm messenger and negotiator and when you put those two things together and apply them to almost anything that we as humans do on earth it involves mercury or whether you're interpreting divine texts and delivering them as like a prophet to the people or negotiating like bread for coin yeah it can go many many ways yeah that's sort of like you know, the way that we associate Mercury with things like education and language and translation. And I think even like patterning, you mentioned weaving earlier and like handiwork, like all these, these different ways that we, it's different than like the Jupiterian way of like making meaning, um, but there's, there's still a very like creative way to sort of like, sort of how do, how do we like find, cook and digest information and knowledge, mm-hmm. it, whether that's through crafting a ritual or crafting a quilt or making a table or an equa- arithmetic or whatever the thing or a library. I think all the different ways that, that shows up and in a lot of the times that Mercury is interested in bringing them into sort of the the middle of the town square, right? like the, whether that's through the commercial world or um, have developing like merchandise or something that is more behind the scenes, more like occulted hermetic things, mm-hmm. all of which are words that kind of come from the root word of Mercury themselves. Yeah. I feel like Jupiter is like a culture maker and Mercury is like a culture doer mm-hmm. <laughs> or a culture shape. <laughs> like Jupiter is like a culture maker and Mercury is like a culture shaper. Yeah, it's like Mercury is, it's sort of like Jupiter is like making meta out of whatever stuff that Mercury has created. And mm-hmm. Jupiter sort of surveying the top of it from the mountain and being like, it appears that the meta of all of these little things is this. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mercury is just more interested in like making it, I think, or being involved. It's just sort of a perspective that I've noticed. Mercury's like, look we made a library and we wrote a bunch of books and Jupiter's like, what does it mean that we have a library? You know, (laughs) so many ideas, so little time. (laughs) There's exactly. I feel like every time I do an episode like this, I'm like, then this could be a series. (laughs) The world can be a challenging place, as you know, and water medicine is a transmission designed to reorient you back to the refuge and inspiration that you carry inside of yourself, no matter what's going on in the world outside. If you're feeling overwhelmed, disconnected, 
burned out, or like you're just going through the motions in your life, it could be an invitation to go deeper and let the soul of yourself seep back into your veins. Whether you're feeling creatively blocked, low energy, or just stuck in a rut, water medicine can help you reconnect with your desires, heal from past hurts, and find more joy and resilience in your life and in yourself. People who have taken this course tell me that it changed their lives, that it's something that they revisit over and over again, and that it introduced them to layers of their longing and aliveness that had been blocked for years, or perhaps never even visited. Water Medicine is a course designed to help you find your flow and reclaim the wild water within you because the world needs you, and perhaps more importantly, you need you, all of you, and overflowing with your life. If something inside of you feels like a yes, then head over to home-bodies.com forward slash join dash water dash medicine, and you can use the code LISTEN, all caps, to get a discount just for our podcast community. If you're not ready to take the plunge, but you still feel curious, head over to home-bodies.com and take our short quiz that pops up on the homepage to get started on your water medicine journey completely for free. And you can find all of this and more in the show notes below. That's home-bodies.com and you can use the code LISTEN at checkout. Which water sign do you feel like diving into first? Oh, I feel like we could start with Mercury and Cancer because it's cardinal. Let's do it. And because Mercury is so often, I think the significations of Mercury and the moon, which rules Cancer, are very often conflated. And there's definitely similarities and overlap. So I wouldn't totally deny that. Mm -hmm. What are your... You know, I feel like a lot of the ways that they intersect is their proximity mm-hmm. and their size and also their their changing nature and their speed or mm-hmm. things that they share in common. Um, what are the things that you would like to bring forward about that? Mm, well, I, I think about Toth, the Egyptian mm-hmm. god of art um, and death, kind of, and Toth was like a lunar god, but also was like connected to Mercury. And I also just taught a course on the third house where the moon gets its joy. And so we were delving into a lot of lunar myths. And Akati was the the last lunar goddess that we spoke on. And there's so much overlap between Akati and Mercury. There's actually even like a very, a couple of like short threads of them as lovers, though I, I don't know how like accurate that is, but I do think that there's overlap uh, or ways that they're the same God because Akati is like a goddess of the crossroads who also was like a company to the, to the dead Mm -hmm. and Mercury being the psychopomp and the guide to the dead. So they're, both of them coming in the in the hour and moment of of death to accompany the soul to the underworld also they are both ministers that's a good enough word um to persephone mm-hmm. mercury is a minister to persephone i think akati is more like a like a priestess or a maiden to persephone so akati goes into 
accompanies Persephone to the underworld and becomes her friend after she witnesses her abduction. And Mercury is seen as like a minister to Persephone because he guides the dead to her mm-hmm. and helps them remember. So there's so much overlap there. And it's also interesting to me, Mercury doesn't have triplicity in water. Mm-hmm. Like if we're talking about the various ways that planets can have dignity, Mercury doesn't have dignity any sort really in water signs, except if we look at the decans, there's two different ways that we can determine planetary decans. One of them is by triplicity. So obviously Mercury doesn't have a decan in any of the water signs according to triplicity, but in the Chaldean order, Mercury has, I believe it's the second decan of Cancer and it doesn't have any decans in Scorpio or Pisces (laughs) in the Chaldean order. So really the one place where I think Mercury does have a little bit more sway or a little bit more ease would be the sign of Cancer. And I think some of that has to do with its similarities with the moon and maybe like finds that the resources available in the sign of the moon are similar to the resources that Mercury might choose for itself or might Mm. oversee for itself. And I do think there's something about like, even though Mercury is mutable, there the cardinal nature of Cancer, the ability to shape, the ability to initiate, I think is probably amusing or fun for Mercury to, to harness. I also think that Mercury is often seen as the company of the sun Mm -hmm. we even see that in the myth of mercury's birth and his connection to apollo but mercury is of neither or both sects a sect s-e-c-t-s just to be clear for anyone listening it is of the diurnal or the nocturnal sect depending on its solar phase and sometimes the sect of the chart, depending on the author. So in that sense, I feel like chthonic Mercury or like nocturnal Mercury enjoys the company or the environment of the moon. Mm -hmm. Thinking too, just sort of cancer as a lot of times when I'm thinking of cancer, I'm thinking of sort of like the void or that sort of Mm. meta womb space, which, and you're sort of like bringing up sort of these like chthonic myths and stories and just how like death is a birth and how the sort of the relationship of those things, like kind of passing through the ocean or the great void or et cetera, feels also like a very unifying and, maybe shared goals or um, shared interests potentially in that environment. Yeah. Even like where the tides meet the shore and the moon Mm -hmm. ruling the tides and this idea of like thresholds or crossroads, it's very much a psychopomp. It gets to be a psychopomp in cancer. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it, while I understand Scorpio's associations with death Mm -hmm. and 
maybe even Pisces associations with death, though I don't associate Pisces with death personally. I do think that it is most like akin to the waters of cancer as as somebody who likes to cross thresholds or is mm-hmm. like designed to cross those thresholds and to be a little bit trickstery. And I think there is something even about like like the crab that like maneuvers itself through the cracks mm-hmm. or the holes in the sand is mm-hmm. feels very mercury to me. Uh, the shapeshifter. Moon's a shapeshifter. Mercury's a shapeshifter. Yeah. So there's even changing speed. Yep. But I do think that Mercury can be like a little bit emotionally swayed. If we're talking about the way that water, the way like Mercury, the element in water and like how the water needs to be mixed up with enough force to be, to be swayed or to like cause ripples in the Mercury itself or to move the Mercury itself from the bottom of the water. Otherwise, mm-hmm. the water's just floating on top of the Mercury. The pull of the moon, the gravitational pull of the moon and the and the tides, to me, seem like a strong enough force to do that. I think that's true. Yeah. And even in the sort of the tempestuous nature of the ocean as well, mm-hmm. I think kind of suits someone who is prone to shape-shifting and... I think something about, I think it's really great. I think there's a way that we can think about a lot of times Mercury and water signs or Mercury with the moon. So it's having like more emotional ways of speaking or communicating, or I can't remember if you shared this while we were recording or before we were recording, but that sort of like having access to knowledge that maybe didn't come from the classroom or Mm. the teacher or the book and how those are that those can be sort of like superpowers potentially that we can find with mercury um, in water, even though they don't fit into some of the more um, standard containers that we normally associate with Mercury's sort of earthly duties. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's also interesting that mercury, like when Mercury's with the sun, it's very often any planet that's within a certain number of degrees of the sun, but not Kazemi is considered combust. And so it gets burnt. Uh, but Mercury is not burnt by the moon. Exactly. But it has the regality of being like luminous or like a luminary. And like Mercury is like pretty shiny as a planet. It's like shiny and sparkly and like, mm-hmm. you know, quicksilver. And so there, I think it absorbs that quality in Cancer, that sort of luminous quality and I was yeah I was looking up people with mercury and cancer like Elon Musk has mercury and cancer oh, weird I would not have saw seen that coming yeah I was like oh that kind of makes sense to me that's sort of like mm. tricky and like he's a funny one too like I don't I mean obviously not a huge fan that said He's not. He's sort of hard to categorize. Like he's yeah. hard to pin down. Yeah, I wouldn't categorize him the way that I would categorize other like other corporate dictators. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. And some of the ways that he makes decisions, you're sort of like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. And they're like, strangely, some things are like strangely progressive. I'm not saying progressive positive. I'm just saying progressive. To exactly. Be <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Unexpected. Didn't see that coming. There's something very, and yet they're very regal. Mm-hmm. So that's one example. Carl Jung has mercury oh, that makes, and cancer. It feels like that makes sense to me. <laughs> which is just like, okay, I see the, there is something very, that idea of like knowledge that comes from experience that wasn't handed down by others, but maybe it was like handed down by spirit or mm-hmm. comes from the underworld, comes from the deep unconscious. Like Jung was like the master of that. Mm-hmm. And obviously we're not looking at the rest of their charts. So I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't say that um, mercury and cancer is like particularly prominent. I don't think in any of these. It's I not like pro- solely responsible for any of these things that we're discussing. Right. Yeah. I mean, like in Carl Jung's chart, it's in the sixth house. It's like closely conjunct Venus though, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. In a lot of chart. It's in its own Deccan in the Chaldean order and it's in the 10th house mm-hmm. with the sun. So there's, not nothing. <laughs> that's not nothing. <laughs> so that's an interesting one. And then the last one that I found, which I think is like so lovely and is Sylvia Rivera. Mm. Do you know Sylvia Rivera? Who is a transcestor who created a home for queer and trans youth who were sort of exiled from their homes in New York and I think was at the original Stonewall riots and is like a really powerful activist, but activist in the way that I think, at least what I know about Sylvia Rivera seems much more geared towards it's less about rebelling against the world that we live in and more about creating a world that she wanted to live in. And this idea of cancer being ruled by the moon and the moon being like the original curotrophos, which is the, the caretaker caregiver of children and the moon being somebody who is like a, a midwife, so to speak, both in myth and in reality, mm-hmm. to me feels like, like I could cry. <laughs> like my, I have a knot in my throat just like talking about Sylvia Rivera. Yeah, feels very, like a very positive connection to Mercury in the sign of cancer as somebody who is able to like shape the environment to create an environment that is welcoming and loving and affirming Mm -hmm. of all of the children, Mercury being like a symbol of children and of youth. Mm -hmm. And also queerness. And yeah, queerness. Mercury is like the OG OG queer, OG, OG, queer. OG ungendered or all the genders. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's perfect. I love that example, especially it's just a very queer mom 
home nurturing. It's really, it's a really beautiful blend of sort of the significations of both of those, both the environment and the planet. Yeah. Do you say we move to, should we kind of keep going cardinal fixed mutable? Do you feel, does that feel a good flow? Yeah, I will just, I kind of want to, can I read like an excerpt from Undrowned? Oh yeah, please. Because this feels like, so there's beginning of the third chapter, remember? And I, I really do like, I think memory is so important to like Mercury and the moon. Mm-hmm. like recalling things. And I think that has to do with like Mercury and Akati and like bringing the dead down to Persephone to like remember who they are. But there's the beginning of this chapter on remembering Alexis Pauline Gums is talking about this uh, dolphin, which is the only marine mammal that, the dominant scientific community calls by their indigenous name. Mm. I don't actually know how to pronounce it. It's spelled T-U-X-U-C-I, named in the Tupi language. But she says, it's a miracle. We say her name. This is my prayer. May anyone who seeks to mention you be called to learn the language of those who first loved you. Mm. May you study the pink of yourself. Know yourself riverine and coast. May you taste the fresh and the salt water of yourself and know what only you can know. May you live in the mouth of the river, meeting place of the tides. May all blessings flow through you. I love you, impossible dolphin, quietest in the river, breathing close to the surface. I'm grateful for what you remember, even if you never say. And I'm keeping your name in my mouth, like a river internal, like this love ever flowing. I'm keeping your name in my mouth every day, all day. I love that. Yeah. And I like thinking about the mouth as a womb Mm -hmm. for the thing that we, the idea that we're like getting ready to birth. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thinking of the the magical nature of Mercury as well, just in the relationship between words and ritual and spell and incantations and songs and things mm-hmm. like that feels very powerful. Yeah. Thanks. No, thank you for reading that. I feel like Undrowned is the perfect water Bible. Yeah. It's like... It, it, <laughs> If anybody wanted to, they could just not listen to this episode and go read, read that Undrowned. book and like, yeah, just read Undrowned and like, you'll understand Mercury in the water signs. Exactly. I agree. That's so true. <laughs> it's kind of shifting personalities. I feel like a little bit like Mercury and Scorpio is maybe some, definitely some contrasting feels, I mm. think, to Mercury and Cancer, you know, Mercury and Scorpio would be ruled by Mars. And so sort of a big change there would be instead of being ruled by a luminary ruled by a traditional malefic, it's mm-hmm. has a more like fixed nature as opposed to that more tidal nature that we associate with cancer and 
with the ocean. And so already with just those associations, we have a little bit of, we have a big change in scenery, I feel like, and an interest in, in functionality. Perhaps. Yeah. Um, what are some of your sort of intro thoughts to Mercury and Scorpio? Yeah, I think my addendum would be that for all of the differences, there are also similarities mm-hmm. because Mars is of the nocturnal sect. And so it belongs to the the moon's kingdom, so to speak. And I, as much as Mars is like a warrior and a fighter, it's also a protector mm-hmm. in the ways that I think moon is a protector and the myths that I associate most with Scorpio are myths of Artemis, who is a lunar goddess mm-hmm. um, and a warrior. And so I think some of the qualities are like retained. Again, it's the idea of like understanding the environment and influencing the environment. But I think Mercury is more reserved in Scorpio in the sense that I think it influences the environment with its silence and with what it conserves and retains and withholds. Like again, this idea of there's a difference between lying, like supplying a a replacement truth versus withholding truth. Mm-hmm. And I think Mercury in Scorpio is much more a withholder of information. It's tactful in that it waits for the right moment to release information when it's being skillful. Like a scorpion, when it is hunting, like never misses its prey. Mm-hmm. But if a scorpion is backed into a corner and threatened, it will sting everything chaotically until it's accidentally most often kills itself. Mm-hmm. So I think Mercury and Scorpio, you know, peregrine, so it's not, it's not dignified or undignified necessarily, but I do think it has like a sharp edge. Yeah that it wields with some degree of grace. And I think there's so much that is communicated with silence, whether it is communicating protection of oneself or protection of another protection of information, or even like protecting another from one's own rage (laughs) Is like one thing that I think can happen with Mercury and Scorpio. Yeah, there's like a, there's almost a stoicism about it that reads, yeah. I guess I'm also thinking about like Mars as like training for war and like building muscles. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's definitely enduring. I think there's like the people who I've had conflict with who have Mercury and Scorpio, they can go forever, man. They can process for like a long time. Yeah. And they can process like the emotional realm and look at things from like every angle 
And I think that really speaks to like the density of mercury, like settling on the bottom surface of the water and looking up at the water from the other side. So like settling to the bottom of the deep unconscious and looking up, it really Mm -hmm. is like mercury, super nocturnal, Mm -hmm. sort of in the underworld. I'm like mercury at the bottom of the river sticks. Yeah. I think there's a capacity for the deep and the dark. Mm-hmm. that Mercury and Scorpio has. And I agree with that sort of, a lot of times I, I think of Mercury and Scorpio alongside this sort of, this image of like the crime investigative journalist mm-hmm. or whatever. Like there's like the map in the background of like all the papers and the pictures and the red dots, like of yarn, like connecting one person to the other. And like the journalist hasn't slept in like weeks and they're buried under a pile of books. And like the matter itself might be something like a little violent and like ick or sharp mm-hmm. and being strategic about what they let people know that they know or what they don't let people know that they know. But there's in this attraction to sort of what is under wraps, mm-hmm. um, like what is hidden, but then also hiding things themselves, mm-hmm. whether there's a clear motive for that or not, but just sort of this orientation towards keeping things private. It's like penetrative allure. For sure. Of the mystery. Mm-hmm. It's like very mystery feels. Mystery feels right. Yeah. It feels like they're a place where it could differ from the, it doesn't have like that nurturing quality. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that it's like, I feel like Mercury and Scorpio, it ha- does have that sharp quality and, maybe like accidentally offending people with like sort of the sharpness or the abruptness or the um, something that I, I see in my own life and other Mercury square. They're like, Oh, I thought I was making a joke, but it came out like too harsh or like too mm-hmm. strong or slanted in a way. And people like, oh, that wasn't funny. <laughs> like it was too dark. Yeah. Or something. It's like misread for sure. It's not necessarily a miscommunication, but it can be like, the way that something is communicated and the way that something lands or the way that something is intended and the way that it's received, there's like Mm -hmm. a gap between. For sure. Things that are perceived as conflict when they're like not meant that way, which I think could be sort of that martial mask over the interaction. Yeah. I think a lot of the people that I know who have Mercury and Scorpio also seem to like people seem to be uneasy around them. Mm. It's just like, there's something like mildly intimidating. And like, to be fair, I also have a lot of people in my life who have like malefic ruled ascendants. So they could be Scorpio rising, they could be Capricorn rising. And so it might not be the Mercury that's the intimidating factor, but I do think that there is something about It's like the sharp edge, but you don't really, it's like you're being careful around somebody who's, who's a master wielding a knife, like a well-sharpened knife. Yeah. Something that came sort of a situation that came up, I was thinking of like roasts, you know, where the people just like stand up with a mic and just like ruthlessly make fun of somebody in the audience. Like as it's like, it's like it's a form of comedy or whatever. And it feels very, that feels very Mercury Scorpio. It's like very like, there's like no, 
has a very low bullshit meter, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's just immediate, like it's like making a joke or a trick or whatever, but it's like harsh and you're a little bit like, oh, it was also like a punch in the face at the same time. Mm-hmm. Feels like a very Mercury Scorpio just situation in general. Yeah. Makes a good comedian though. If you're like, it does. If you like dark humor. <laughs> For sure. That sort of sarcastic, skeptical, incisive edge, I think. Yeah. For sure. But I do think it's interesting because there's these like ancient statues. Like there were more statues of Mercury than like any other god, and like more myths with Mercury than any other god. (laughs) But these statues called Herms were placed like everywhere in ancient Greece. And they were basically like, they were kind of two dimensional except for the penis. Mm. and people would like rub it for good luck that's amazing oh my god yeah they had like obviously a very different relationship to sexuality but i i am thinking about this sort of like the very phallic for sure mercury and like mercury uh, as a gymnast or lover of gymnastics and like you know watching other men and like bde like mercury and scorpio is like bde (laughs) (laughs) because Scorpio is penetrative right yeah Mars is penetrative so there's a all sexual innuendos definitely present here Mm -hmm. but there is something about that very primal the teenagers who are flirting by teasing Mm -hmm. the person with whom they find infatuation Mm-hmm. And they're like maybe a little harsh, and it for sure. The the other like sort of softy teenager mm-hmm. with raging hormones, Mercury and Cancer, like can't tell if they like them or not. And like for runs sure, home it's like, are you hitting me? <laughs> it's like, I like you. We're like what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that. Yeah, that feels very true. I think also of like just a lot of like swearing or curse words, et cetera, Mercury and Scorpio as well. Just sort of like cursing from a very young age, that feeling very like a, hmm. a very like natural kind of swagger or way of speaking that doesn't probably feel like much to like in the situation, but for some people who may have like a more gentler nature, or whatever, they're like, oh, that's like, it feels like so harsh or like so much or so rough, I guess. Yeah. Whereas to the, like the Mercury and Scorpio experience, it doesn't feel that way. I mean, I think also Mars is like association with death. Yeah. Mars burns things. Yeah. Slashes, it's gory. It's And then Mercury as the psychopomp again. So we have the, the one that kills and the one that accompanies those who are killed. Yeah. I, I can't, maybe it's just the book that I'm reading now, but. I tend to like love like shows or stories or whatever they're like that sort of like 1990s Yakuza era Tokyo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's just all that sort of like, there's a lot that kind of like goes into that, that vibe. Like there is this sort of this like underworld of like death and like underwater crime and like commercial extortion and like spy, like that sort of thing. It feels very like red light crime and things like that. It just feels very Mercury Scorpio, that sort of transgressive quality, I think is what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. And even a little chaotic, like I'm thinking about Jessica Jones now. 
have you watched Jessica Jones? No. The, uh, it's um one of the Marvel. Oh, great. Okay. Series. She's like a raging alcoholic. <laughs> And also a crime fighter, superhero, mm-hmm. and like sort and a private investigator, and that's mm-hmm. like very Mercury and Scorpio, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I like. I think that word transgressive is really hitting for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like sin, right? Like that's that sort of like the dirt, the dirty world, yeah, behavior or the doing someone's dirty work, doing someone's dirty work. Yeah, Mercury and Scorpio will like do the dirty work, but uh, it's interesting to me because so many people who I know have Mercury and Scorpio also have Hecka Libra placements because Mercury sure. travels too far from the sun or Hecka Sag placements. And so there's some cuddlier personas potentially. <laughs> yeah. Well, the people who I know with Mercury and Scorpio who have a lot of like Libra placements, I think are more like I think they're a little bit more cutting and almost, I don't know if mischievous is the right word. Cunning, I think is a really good word. It's like the very skilled lawyer, mm-hmm. like the the expert litigator mm-hmm. would be somebody with like sun, Venus in Libra, but Mercury in Scorpio. Whereas like sun, Venus and Sag with Mercury in Scorpio is like, that's more mischievous, more like mm-hmm. there to have a good time. Like maybe the Mercury operates in a way that's like a little bit more chaotic. Yeah. But like chaotic good, you know, like <laughs> the jab and then the laugh that follows. Whereas the Libra placements have like very, there's like that sort of alluring social grace as the sad stuff is much more of the swagger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for sure. Yeah, that Mercury and Scorpio having that potentially like a gravitas with it, like that endurance to get to the bottom of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found I saw that some a couple of examples that I found that were, I thought Winston Churchill has a Mercury and Scorpio, mm-hmm. which someone who's like we think of being like very quotable, yeah, <laughs> um, is distinct, but also most notably remembered for their like wartime communication mm-hmm. feels very Mercury and Scorpio. Also some poets like thinking like William Blake and Arthur Rimbaud and Rainer Maria Rilke. Interesting. Oh, Rilke. Who sort of like swim in these like deep, dark kind of mystical waters, especially thinking like Rambo particularly. Well, Rilke has an entire like series on sonnets to Orpheus too. Exactly. So like yes. mystery cults. Yeah. Not abandoned there. <laughs> yeah, they're not off the table. <laughs> Very much on the table. Um, yeah. Did, were there any fun examples that you noted? You know, I didn't really look for them. I think because I have so few mercury and cancers, I was just like trying to get a sense of like ideas for mercury and cancer. Whereas I have so many Scorpio Mercuries and Pisces Mercuries in my life that I was like, I feel like I I've got that. I know these, (laughs) I know these placements (laughs) for sure. Is there anything else you want to say before we hit Mercury and Pisces? Mm. I think just the denseness of Mercury feels really important in Scorpio, like the denseness of the element. And I wouldn't call Mercury and Scorpio dense, like 
stupid. That's not what I mean at all. More the solid quality of Mercury feels like it really shows through in Scorpio. Like it's sturdy. Mm -hmm. I think it also can stay in the cave. Mercury's association with caves. Yeah. Probably needs to be in the cave. (laughs) Yeah. Mercury's slaying the giant. Yes. In in the Carician cave feels very like I would just suggest that for people who have Mercury in Scorpio, it's like giving yourself cave time. For sure. Whatever that means to you. Yeah. It's like the cave is the only thing that will allow for the amount of focus and obsession needed to get to the root of the things that you're interested in. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that's great advice. Mercury and Pisces on a more jovial (laughs) note. Sometimes it feels jovial. Mostly it just feels confusing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm natal Mercury and Pisces combust. So like, yeah. I can't remember who said it, but it's stuck in my mind that Mercury <laughs> Mercury and Pisces is thinking about the entire universe all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty accurate. I think Diana Rose Harper, who's like a dear friend and colleague of mine, posted something that, like a thread recently on the planets in fall. Mm-hmm. And she like gave a description of each planet in fall. And the one for Mercury really struck me. It was something about like trying to articulate the magnitude of God mm-hmm. all the while knowing it's an impossible task mm-hmm. and setting yourself up to try to do it anyway, because that's the only thing that you can do. And that feels very Mercury and Pisces to me. And so sometimes I definitely feel like, at least from personal experience, the thing that I'm trying to communicate never gets across all the way. And it's like, that makes sense. You know, God isn't crossing the river sticks. Yep. The entire cosmos, the whole all not there. It, it just is the all. It is the the black abyss of of spirit. Yeah, and it's you know like language. There are things around which language has to expand in order to even begin to talk about them. And a lot of times, sort of our average way of communicating, we find is is lacking mm-hmm. these sort of ineffable, indescribable experiences, mystical experiences, all the things which we find in Pisces pretty regularly. Yeah. And I think anytime we're talking about a planet in fall, we're also talking about, we're not talking about a planet that doesn't have power. Planets in detriment actually, I think have less power than planets in fall. Though technically Mercury is also in detriment Pisces. For sure. I was like, and both. (laughs) Both and, which is hilarious because it's Mercury. But I do think that there's a uh, there's something about once you understand the power, you can harness it. But it's hard to understand the power when you're in an environment that is totally antithetical to what you're like meant to do. And we speak often of Mercury as verbal communication, mm-hmm. and there's so much nonverbal communication that goes along with Mercury because Mercury is the passageway, the channel, the communication itself and the communicator, the messenger. And 
I think what Mercury in Pisces picks up on is not just nonverbal communication, but like actual spirit communication. Yep. Like the, the current, it's the current and the ocean and the, like what you were talking about with like the whale songs or the sonar mm-hmm. that like echo and reverberate for miles and miles and miles. Mm-hmm. It's like the symphony underlying or overlying or subsuming everything. And I think Mercury and Pisces sometimes, at least in a very tangible way, can get caught up in something that it's picking up on mm-hmm. that might be perceived as coming from like an individual. And that might be true. And there's also like all of the like premonition capacities or like notes or tones that come through for Mercury and Pisces, but it's hard to place the root of where the communication is coming from. And so it can get like stuck or confused. I think Mercury in Pisces struggles to edit (laughs) or to like get to the root of something or get to the end of a thread. And so it needs a lot of like acceptance and tolerance for the fact that the spool of thread is infinite. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that, you know, a lot of times I think with, with the water signs in general, but in Pisces in particular, it's like, you know, if you're going to communicate underwater, you don't like send someone a book, right? Like the book, like the ink's going to run, the book's going to get soggy. It's going to fall apart. Like there's no way that that way of translating and communication, like even makes sense there. But like, what is like, like you're saying the sonar, the sound, the songs, even like, even all of the instruments and have to be completely different in order for communication to happen there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think Mercury often likes to work on its own. Yeah. With others and communication with others, but it likes to kind of do its own thing. And Mercury in Pisces, I think, does function best as psychopomp, which is interesting because it's in a Jupiter world sign and Jupiter to me is not a psychopomp. But the if you look at the chthonic into Mercury and maybe also the it talks about like necessity's path or her twirled cord and necessity is the daughter of Aphrodite. Aphrodite is like the all, the whole all. Mm-hmm. Again, I will just credit Kristen Mathis for these ideas or understandings rather, but necessity is if Aphrodite is the force, which compels things together. Necessity is the force, which pushes things apart, which separates them. Necessity is connected to the fates, maybe considered the the mother of the fates. And so then there's the three fates. There's the one that spools the thread um, or like makes the thread. There's the one that weaves the thread. And then there's the fate that cuts the cord. And when Mercury as psychopomp is leading the, leading the dead down to Persephone, he's sort of leading them down to their fate, right? It's the companion to, on necessity's path of no return is part of the is part of the hymn to chthonic Hermes. And I think that 
that requires Hermes to have, or Mercury rather, to have a very, I want to say a wide lens, but like that doesn't even really encompass what I'm trying to get to because it's a, it's a, it's a cosmic lens Mm -hmm. of what's happening. And I think that's Mercury in Pisces. It's like, it's the cosmic understanding that just cannot be encapsulated in any of the like fractal realities that the Greeks understood the world to have. It's it's happening in everything, everywhere, all at once. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Which I think is a great, I use that for Pisces in general, a lot of the time. And just thinking about, you know, a lot of our daytime earthly mercurial functions are like, what time is it? And being on time and the schedules and organizing the things. And Pisces is like, there is no time. Like it's made up, you know, this, like the conversation doesn't even like translate. Even like when I was looking for examples of Mercury's in Pisces, it was Copernicus and Galileo both had Mercury in Pisces and the Rodin ratings are like either double A or A. Mm -hmm. So sort of that cosmic lens of just like kind of always looking up and out and just sort of taking stock of our place in it all. Yeah. It's like the captain of the Argo, the captain mm-hmm. of the ship who's it's, I mean, Mercury in a Jupiter world sign, Jupiter being the father of, well, I guess Saturn's really the father of all, but, <laughs> but Jupiter, but Jupiter being Mercury's father and Jupiter being the God of the, of the Olympians. Mm-hmm. And this, like Mercury in Pisces has access to Jupiter's resources. Yeah. And so in that sense, like, how do I put it? In one sense, Mercury is under the constant dominion or gaze of his father, which is not Mercury's favorite place to be. But in the other sense, Mercury has all of daddy's resources. Exactly. Exactly. And daddy rules everything. Exactly. The price one must pay. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like... To have the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. And yeah, Mercury in Pisces feels very much like the kid who... Maybe the the lucky rich kid who who has the keys to their parents' beamer for the weekend. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just like a kind of a horrible metaphor but you know what will you do with it (laughs) yeah i'm also thinking too of sort of this jupiterian role of like the priest i feel like um Mm. just thinking about like sort of like the priest the poems the prayers like the things that Mm. we the places we find ourselves the ways that we attempt to communicate with that which seems greater than us or we can't see and sort of the different kinds of rituals or formulas or perspectives, ways that we try to translate those things. And, you know, when people have like tend to have these sort of like what I would normally associate with Pisces, these sort of like really mystical experiences that usually like can really change someone's life. And they come, they're like, I can't really explain it. Like they can't quite, doesn't translate to words look at you, you just had to be there. Or like, I can't really tell you what happened. I just know I'm different or this is different. And I think that quality too feels very mercury in Pisces as well. Yeah. It's like synchronicity is not easily accessed vicariously. Mm -hmm. It's something that must be experienced. Like the, the feeling of elation of buoyancy that happens when, when understandings align Mm -hmm. is like something that you can embody 
that can like pass through you, but it's, it's difficult to relay. Like I can't count how many times I tried to tell somebody about it an experience of synchronicity and nobody had the revelatory <laughs> reaction that I yeah. had when, when it happened. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. But I do think that people have the revelatory reaction when they read a poem or experience a song or like read a story and put different pieces together. Da Vinci Code or I think Tolkien is like actually maybe a better example. Like, And I haven't read all of The Lord of the Rings. I was four when my dad tried to read me The Hobbit and was traumatized by <laughs> <laughs> Like the, all of the like demonic creatures in it and we didn't even get through the full book. And so I, I never had the, the relationship with Lord of the Rings that so many of my, my peers and colleagues have, but I do understand the feeling of what was being communicated there. Mm -hmm. There's like the, the magical undercurrents of mm -hmm. the universe Mm -hmm. of the world um, and the love for the earth. There's, there's a enchanting quality to Mercury and Pisces, which to me is like, that's Orpheus, right? Orpheus and the lyre. Mercury created the lyre, Orpheus perfected it. And so there's the, did you say it was Rilke? Rilke has Mercury and Scorpio, not Mercury and Pisces. Um, yeah, but there's something about like, creating an image or a mm -hmm. visual for people to like fall into feels like trance states. Yeah. Like the ability to alter reality for others to like influence the, the environment in such a way, like when you go to the movies and it's like virtual reality feels like a Mercury and Pisces thing. But when you go to the movies, oh. And you feel like you like forget that you're alive as you're watching the movie. You feel like you're in the movie. That feels like Mercury and Pisces yeah. to me. Yeah, like through these devices or these technologies, even of fantasy and imagination, virtual reality, even like how they're sort of their own technologies, their own their own modes and modalities of communication, um, even though they're not as linear or language based. It's because the world's so big and Mercury in a Jupiter ruled sign is in a, is in like a worldly space. Yeah. A cosmic space. Like you said, like Galileo and Copernicus, it's just like looking up at the sky. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Are there any other examples of Mercury and Pisces people that you wanted to <sighs> bring forward? You know, I bet you, I don't know. Do I have her chart here? I was going to say, I bet you Claire Boucher, probably Grimes, who is Elon Musk's mm -hmm. baby daddy. I wonder if there's a way. And do you use Astrogold? Yes. Is there a way to look up a placement? Probably not. I normally cheat and just use AstroSeek for that. Because it's really easy to find on the AstroSeek website. Yeah. You know, I'm not like somebody who uses a lot of celebrity examples. Just because I find that 
There's so much that we don't know about celebrities' lives. For sure. I don't always love like trying to. Yeah, because we're just getting solely external yeah. experience. Oh, but here's a good one. <laughs> Lady Gaga has Mercury yeah. and Jupiter in Pisces. Yeah, I saw that one, <laughs> which makes sense <laughs> in a lot of ways. Just yeah. larger, larger than life. Yeah. Shows with elephants, you know, it's very present. World building. <laughs> I think some other, I know, I think Justin Timberlake has Mercury in Pisces. Johnny Cash has Mercury in Pisces. So many musicians. A lot of musicians. Maya Angelou is a great example of Mercury in Pisces. I think it's mm-hmm. also very close to Venus, exalted Venus in Pisces as well, which makes sense for her. Abraham Lincoln is Mercury in Pisces. Yeah. I don't remember the rotten rating on that one, but I saw that one. A lot of like thinking outside the box because Pisces is like, there is no box. So (laughs) the box does not exist. The box does not exist. And so just a lot of, yeah, a lot of out of the box thinking. Yeah. But I also think about Mercury, like building the liar and I'm like, well, the box doesn't exist, but Mercury in Pisces is like, okay, well, I'm going to make the box then. And the box is made of music. (laughs) Yeah, even like I'm thinking about those little music boxes that I used to see as a kid. I was so enchanted by and sometimes like they'd have like a ballerina that was like spinning. But I think the most beautiful ones were like jewelry boxes. My mom had this little jewelry box that I loved. It had like a mirror in the bottom and it was like stained glass and you opened it and it would play this like Russian lullaby and had like, I don't know if you remember, it had what looks like a spool of thread that has these little notches coming out of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And it would like sort of prick the cords. Mm -hmm. That's like Mercury and Pisces. It's like a whole world of sound in this tiny little thing. little code. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to say about Mercury in Pisces, Mercury in general, before we lean towards wrapping ourselves up today? I think Mercury gets a bad rap because there's so much focus on Mercury's conniving nature. Mm -hmm. And we never stop to think about why. Mercury's conniving, what for? And Mercury, more than any other god, like when I was, I have this book, classic bestseller, Mythology, Timeless Tales of Gods and Heroes by Edith Hamilton. Mm-hmm. When I was looking at the glossary, the index for Hermes, one of the things that it said it's like, see also Mercury. Apollo receives lyre from Ares freed from prison by Argus slain by Argus being a demon. Brings Persephone from underworld. Calypso ordered to free Odysseus by father of Pan, father of Silenus. We'll skip this. Messenger of the gods. Rescued from Circe by. Aided by. Rescued by. Brought from dead by. Sent us messenger to. Mercury's a helper. Yeah. Mercury's an assistant. Mercury's an aide. And not an aide without agency. And 
Mercury gets reduced a lot to being conniving and trickstery. And most of the time when Mercury's playing a trick, it's for the sake of helping or healing or rescuing or supporting or accompanying or witnessing or solving. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think we could just give Mercury a little bit more moral credit, Mm -hmm. even if Mercury doesn't care about morals, because that's not Mercury's domain. Mm -hmm. But there's a reason that Mercury is simultaneously pissing everyone off and helping everyone out. out. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think when I think about that in terms of water and the pollution that is like rampant in our waters and our oceans, I think that Mercury in a water sign is, is a real lifesaver. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. What about you? Yeah, I think something that's really landing for me is refusing to follow the rules. Mm-hmm. Is a, a Mercury quality that I really admire. And I think Mercury and water just having the additionally subversive nature of going underground, going underwater, speaking a different language, communicating in a different way through the magic and the myth and the poem and the prayers and the ineffable. And those are all things, the music, the whales, the dolphins, et cetera, that are, yeah, I think things that I feel very drawn to and they feel very medicinal in this time. So it's beautiful. From two water mercuries out into the world. (laughs) Um, These are our thoughts. What would you like to leave our listeners with as far as where they can find you on the internet? This episode will come out in October. So if you have any, where can people get in touch with you? Where can they take a class or a course? Anything that you have coming up that you would like listeners to know about? The best way to find me is my website. It's et like extraterrestrial, E.T. Shipley, S-H-I-P-L-E-Y.com. And you can sign up for my newsletter there. I send out Mercury and Pisces missives every once in a while. And I'm at E.T. Shipley on Instagram and on threads. I'm very Mercury and Pisces about social media these days. I have some things in the works potentially for October, but nothing's confirmed yet. So I'll just keep that under wraps. The best way to find out about it is to find me on the interwebs. And I open my books usually at the end or beginning of each month for the following month. So Mm -hmm. if you want to get a session with me, the best way to do that is to sign up for my newsletter. And uh, I do have a couple of courses available on Podia. Probably the one that I would most direct people to was a lecture that I gave on the third and sixth houses on uh, care work and disability justice in 2020. So I think the website for that is like podia.etshibley.com or something. But by the time this comes out, there should be links available on my website to access those. Yeah. And I will likely in the next 
six months or so, be launching a new cohort of my course, Templamades, which is about the third house. And maybe we'll talk more about that sometime in the future. For sure. Well, thank you for coming on and for um, swimming around in this this mercurial pool. Mm, my pleasure. I love splashing. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please take a few moments to subscribe to the show, leave us a review, and share the episode. These small tasks help our independent podcast so much. Be sure to also check out the show notes below to learn more about any resources, guests, or sponsors that we shared with you today. Our intro and outro music was created by artists Aaron Palavik and Jared Kelly. Our podcast logo was created by Elaine Stevenson. And this show is produced by Softer Sound Studio. Thank you for being here. Be well. Peace. Peace.